We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Well, welcome to church again from myself. Um, we've been in a series called The Very Good News. And, um, you know, the first thing that the Gospel of Mark records that Jesus said when he came on the scene, the very first thing that Mark records, Jesus said this, the time has fulfilled, has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, or repent and believe the gospel. The gospel, word gospel literally means good news. And uh, if you've been around, you know it's not just any news. It's not just news that, you know, Port Adelaide won their final. Yeah. Because who knows, in two weeks' time, it could be other news, you know. It's not news that changes could change next week. The good news, the word gospel means the type of news that changes everything. The news that changes the world. It's like you're in a prisoner of war camp in uh, Singapore and you hear the war is over. It's that sort of news. It's the sort of news that changes... uh, um, because of that, you know, prisoners were set free. Those who were going to die lived. Countries changed, borders, leaders changed. Everything changed because of that news. That's what this word means. Not just normal news, but very good news. So when Jesus said, I've come to proclaim the good news, it was always about a king coming as well. A king coming and... So when we hear the word gospel, that's literally what it means. And... Um, the word, the, this gospel represents the thing that happened when Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. And uh, at the moment, we're talking about living as good news people. We've spent a bit of time talking about what the good news means, and now we're talking about living it out. How do we live our lives in light of the gospel? And... Um, When we think about what the gospel is all about, you know, we need to have a well-rounded concept of what the gospel is. Um, Charlotte shared from Galatians, that's part of the gospel. We don't no longer have to work to be accepted by God. We no longer have to tick the certain boxes to be accepted. There's a new way to be accepted by God. But we need a whole Bible picture And it's important because how we understand the gospel, how you understand the gospel will direct how you live your life. It'll direct how you minister to people. Now, in our church, in our tradition, if we've got a tradition, we've been around about 100 years, the ACC, if you go back to our roots. Some some churches go a lot further back than that. Um, And the term gospel, when we think of most churches think of the term gospel, they, we, we tend to focus on how the Apostle Paul presents the gospel. And Charlotte shared a bit about that this morning, but he writes a, a lot about it in the book of Romans. And things like, you know, we've all sinned, we've all had things in our life that broke our relationship with God. Jesus came to deal with the problem. He lived and loved and died and rose again. And God's grace and God's favour leads us to him. And Paul wrote a lot about being accepted, no condemnation. We're in the family of God, we're adopted. And these concepts are foundational. They're really important. And we've talked about a lot of that in our series. You can 
look on our podcast and, and look, in, look into that. We've been forgiven and we respond to that by committing our lives to God. And those things are foundational. But if we're not careful, this is what happens. Our idea of the gospel can be all about how we get our ticket to heaven. It's all about how we get to heaven. Life insurance. You know, I've signed up for life insurance. I've said the little prayer, I've signed the dotted line. And just imagine if you in, you're in an organisation that had a plan to completely transform and help a community and you got people to sign up for this great mission and you said, well, part of the salary package is, is that we give you a great pension, right? But everyone who signed up was just for the pension, not for the cause. And this is what happens when we reduce the gospel down to our ticket to heaven. We just signed up for the retirement fund. And uh, if we only present that, you mean, who, who wouldn't put their hand up for that? Who wants to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. That's, that's an easy choice. What's the alternative? But if we're going to be whole Bible Christians, we need to embrace, I want to call it, the fullness of the gospel. Um, because Jesus was asked once by a person, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He was asked that question. And uh, I wonder what Jesus said. He said, uh, that's a good question, he said, uh, what does Moses tell you to do? And, he, and the guy said, oh, you've got to love God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus said, you've got to. And then the guy said, well, you know, who's my neighbour? Because in those days, in that culture, my neighbour was someone who was about the same as me, same social status, lived next door in my nice middle-class neighbourhood. That was my neighbour. And so Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan. You know, how this guy went and met this person who was really a sworn enemy and went beyond and did the things which normally wouldn't be done. And Jesus said to the man, okay, do that and you will live. And um, our idea of living as kingdom people needs to be part of our gospel definition. There's two different, so there's two different facets to the gospel. One is, you know, what Paul wrote about, how I believe in Jesus, his love, his grace for me. And Jesus put another facet on the gospel. And he said, I want you to show unconditional love to those who you consider unlovely. That was his facet on the gospel. Love those who you normally wouldn't love in very practical ways. And so we got these two sides to the gospel, if you like. And we, our gospel needs to have both expressions because uh, Jesus was, was all about bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He, when he started his ministry, he got up and he read from the book of Isaiah and it's in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim captives to, uh, will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will set free and that the time of the Lord's favour has come now right now and uh, he was constantly talking about the kingdom of God but hardly ever talking about the afterlife he was talking about now he is cast out demons he said well, you know when I do that the kingdom of God has come he's talking about what was happening right now he even taught us to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven now that's a prayer we pray but don't believe 
Who's ever prayed that prayer? Let your kingdom come right here as it is up there. Wow, that's a big prayer. And we parrot it off like a poem instead of thinking about what Jesus was ask us to pr- asking us to pray about. So our, our gospel needs to have both sides. Otherwise, we just have an escapist Christianity. Uh, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through. I'm not going to worry about this stuff. So we won't engage with what Jesus wants us to do to bring his kingdom here now as well. If we just have an escapist mentality, we won't worry about living as gospel people. We won't be concerned about outworking his kingdom. But we're here to bring his kingdom to every part of our world, our society. Uh, You know, if we just had a concept about we're just going to heaven, you know what there wouldn't be? There would be... uh, probably no hospitals. 99% of hospitals were started by believers. 99% of educational institutions were started by Christians. No abolition of, of slavery. No, none of those organisation, organisations caring for orphans, feeding people right now. Uh, the, the welfare and the status of women and children would still be as basically uh, objects the, the things that, that are in our society now where they're talking about racism. There's no real... Why, why even deal with that if we're just going to heaven? Because we're called to bring the kingdom of God to where we are right now. So we have to have this balance, this balanced idea of the gospel, and that is the gospel just as much as us receiving God, Jesus into our life. That is the gospel as well. And um, our Sunday gatherings and, and places like this and times like this are really important. What we do at church is important. And, uh, but it's just as important how we touch the lives of those every day. In fact, a, a very small percentage of Jesus' ministry was in a building like this or a temple. Most of the time he's walking around, he sees someone who is blind and he heals them. That wasn't happening in the temple. That was out there somewhere. And... Um, most of his miracles, I think just about every miracle he performed was actually meeting a need in, this, in the, his community. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I think we got this one, Andrew. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around what? Doing good and healing who, all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That was ministry. And if we think of ministry as something we do on a platform, I tell you what, that's about 1%. It's about going up, uh, representing Jesus. I love Colossians 1, uh, 3, verse 17. It says, uh, we got that one? Thanks. And whatever you do or say, you need to underline the whatever. Now, whatever means whatever. It means everything. Whatever you do or say, do it as a represent, re- representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. You know, that's worship just as much as lifting your hands and singing. And, uh, you know, we need to embrace two expressions of worship. I'm going to call it Sunday worship. I'm going to call it Monday worship. Not, just, not that it just happens on Sunday and happens on Monday, but something we do here and something we do every day. And Sunday worship is where we gather, we pray together, we have communion, we hear teaching. And Monday worship is represented by what? When we touch people. 
like ambassadors. And we need to be embracing both parts of this worship. Monday worship is probably more about believers. Sorry, Sunday worship is about believers. Monday worship is about not yet believers. Sunday worship is discipling people. Monday worship is demonstrating the goodness of God. You know, if you're a footy, footy player, Sunday is footy practice. Monday is the game, not the other way around. Sunday worship is about, you know, revelation. I see things about God and, and Monday is about activation. Sunday is hands lifting up to God. Monday's hands reaching out to people. Uh, Sunday worship is about coming. Monday worship is about going. Sunday worship is about feed us, God, so we can grow. Monday's about feeding those who are hungry. Sunday's about coming to the family. Monday's about going to the fatherless. So you get, you get the idea. And we need to have both parts of worship. Sunday church, Monday church. Sunday worship, Monday worship. If we're only good at Sunday, we become irrelevant in our community. If our church closed its doors and no one noticed, guess what? It's not much good. If we're only good at Monday wor- worship, we become a social club. We need both. We need Sunday worship. We need Monday worship. We need two parts of our gospel. We are the light of the world. The world. So the gospel isn't just about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth. And, um, you know, Paul actually, he didn't just write these awesome things about uh, save, save, how, how you become saved and what God has done in your life. But he wrote some powerful things about transforming his community and um, he understood that as well and the apostle Paul wanted to change his world right where he was change the way that people were treated Uh, most of his letters were addressing issues where people were excluded where you know the Jews didn't get on with the non-Jews and things like that and um, a great example is is a little book in your Bible called Philemon. Anyone ever read Philemon? One chapter. In fact, Paul's letters are all put in a certain order. You know how, what the order is? Largest to smallest. That's it. <laughs> Romans is the biggest. one, And the very end one that Paul wrote, or the, that we know Paul wrote, is called Philemon. And it's only about a page long in your Bible. Shortest letter but it's one of the most explosive things that he had written in that culture. Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it was calling for a change in the way that their culture lived their life. And um, the way we looked at people in our society, certain people. And when Paul's writing this, he's probably in a jail in Ephesus, a town called Ephesus. He's writing to a guy called Philemon. And he's writing about a runaway slave. And the slave's name is Onesimus, which means useful. Okay, but he's run away. And uh, um, in the Roman world, you know, slaves were such a part of just normal life. And we, we look at that and we think, slaves? You know, why don't you just tell them to release all their slaves? But it would have been seen as inconceivable not having slaves in your world. It was so ingrained into their culture. It would be like, we know they're not right, but 
you know, they're just part of our life. It's a bit like us saying, well, we know cars pollute our atmosphere. We know that. But if someone said, okay, as for tomorrow, there's no cars, we thought, well, it'd probably be good for the atmosphere, but it's not going to happen. So that's how, what slavery was like in that culture. It was so ingrained in... Um, and it would have been considered a, an impossible thing to do at that point in time. And this guy called Philemon, he was, he was uh, a Roman citizen and anyone who was well off in that time actually had slaves in that, in that culture. And they weren't a certain colour or a certain race. What they were was, was when, when a, uh, a country was conquered, they'd take all the, all the people into slavery, either, either kill them or take them into slavery. And so people were taken into slavery, they're all, all nationalities, and that's how they lived the rest of their life. It was pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, slaves had no rights. They were basically property. You could do what you like with them. They were considered at best sort of subhuman for those who owned them. Now, slavery is a huge topic, and we're not going to look at that, but I just want to paint a picture of the culture, what it was like. And Philemon becomes... He, he becomes a Christian, and he has this slave to Onis, called Onesimus, and Onesimus did something wrong. He must have stolen something or whatever from his master, and he ran away. So we've got this runaway slave who's done something wrong. We don't know what it is. Maybe he, st maybe he stole something, and this was serious. In fact, it was as serious as murder. If you were taken back, if you were caught, you'd either be se severely beaten or some, some people would have crucified them, Okay. Now, we'd hope that Philemon wasn't in that place because he was a Christian. He's come a long way, a little bit. But this is a big issue. So, Anisibus has run away and makes his way to where Paul is in a, in a different town in Ephesus. He comes to, finds his way to Paul. He becomes a Christian. And Paul calls him my child in the faith, if you look in there. So, Paul's in a tricky situation. Uh, he knows what happens to slaves. He knows how they're treated. And uh, he writes this letter to Philemon. And he, he wants him to welcome Onesimus back. But not just as a slave. He says, no longer as a slave, as a brother. Who's ever sung that song, No Longer Slave? A slave of God. Comes from this. Comes from this part. And Paul opens his, his, his letter with a prayer. And, uh, and then he starts to build a picture of this guy called Onesimus. And he said, he's, he's my child in the faith. I led him to the Lord. And, and Paul says to Philemon, I'm going to send him back to you, but I'm sending my heart back, you know. And uh, we need to reconcile this issue. It would be easier for Paul to say to Anisibus, okay, I'm going to send you to Spain or somewhere because this is a bad situation. We need to rescue you. But he was committed to not taking the easy way out but bringing reconciliation. And uh, so um, I think when Philemon's reading this letter, he's seeing Paul next to Onesimus with their arms around him, the way he's describing him uh, in, that, in the letter, linked together like a father and son. And Paul challenges him, this slave owner, to deal with this guy in a completely different, that is completely different to their culture. Uh, verse 16, we're going to read just a couple of verses from this little letter. 
And Paul's writing about Onesimus and he says this, he is no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave. He is your beloved brother. He is a beloved brother, sorry, especially to me. Now he will mean so much more to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you are welcome as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul, but he did mention that, didn't he? Just a little, little sub-clause down the bottom. A little further on in the letter, he says, by the way, I'm going to come, when I get out of this jail, I'm going to come to visit, just in, in case he doesn't treat him right. And... Um, so in this situation, let's, let's revisit the picture. Under Roman law, every right to punish him, put him in prison, that was the community expectation. That's what happened. That's just how you treated these people. Now, Paul's not only asking him to forgive him, but he wants to raise his status. He wants to change it. To no longer a slave, but now a brother, that he could have fellowship. Is anyone ever word, heard the word koinonia or koinonia? 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 Koinonia. It means fellowship. This is the word used all through, all through this, that we, he could have this sort of bond like you have. Now, that might sound reasonable to us, but it was unheard of in Roman society. Freeing a slave and treating him like a family member was totally against the social order. This was counterculture. This was changing society. Verse 17, I'm going to read it again. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you will welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'm writing this with my own hand. See, the gospel is about reconciliation. Paul wrote somewhere else that in Jesus, God reconciled the world to himself not counting people's sins against them. And in this letter, you know what Paul's doing? He's becoming like Jesus. He's becoming Christ-like. He's doing what Jesus did on a big scale in a localised way. And Paul's saying, this guy's wrong you, I'm going to pay anything he owes you. I'm going to pay the price. Now that price might have been a price, money, but it could have been a punishment. So this, this is the picture. If he's wronged you in any way, charge it to me. Like Jesus paid the price for us to reconcile us to God. This is what Paul's doing at a localised level. He's living as a gospel person. And Paul's message wasn't just about the legal transaction, but he, was, he went further than that because he said, now I'm changing his status. He's reconciled, but he's no longer a slave. He's not back to where he was before. I'm lifting it. I'm lifting the game. I'm lifting the stakes. He's going to come like a brother to you. A brother. A family member. In the book of Galatians, where we read earlier in the survey, it says there's no longer any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ. This, this is what he's talking about. And Paul expects what he's doing to transform their relationship, to redefine it. And Paul's letter is powerful because it's, it's actually the only letter he's written 
where he doesn't mention Christ's death or resurrection. But it's not an oversight because he doesn't mention it in his writing, he just does it through his actions. He paints the picture of the gospel through his actions, reconciling people to God and people together. So Paul was actually changing society. This is Monday church. He's actually changing the society. He, was, he wasn't demonstrating out with a placard, but he was, he was changing it one at a time. Now we look back and we can see the results of 2,000 years of that work, but this was unheard of at this time. Now the gospel, this shows us that the gospel is never just private. Now it is about you and me and, uh, sorry, me and God and me getting right with God, but it's never just about that. It's always about how I relate to others as well. Love God with all your heart and loving one another. They're not, they're not option A or option B. They're the one option. This is the gospel, how it's outworked in our life. It's not just me and God. It's not just I come to Sunday and, you know, sing a couple of songs, try to stay awake while Darren speaks and throw a dollar in the offering and then I've done my tick, ticked off my box for the week. It's never about that. It's how we take what we receive from God and we live it out in our community. And if something needs changing, we change it. Or we, we do what we can. It's the gospel outworked. You know, sometimes you hear the word, oh, oh that's just a social gospel, as if it's a, a put-down of actually changing something. No, this is part. This is part, a big part of the gospel. So we're citizens of heaven, Bible calls us, who live on earth and who are called to bring heaven to earth. So, yeah, our, our home might be eventually in a different place, but we're ambassadors. We're called to be here on earth, bring people to God. And uh, we should be challenging and addressing areas in our culture that aren't aligned with the gospel. Uh, now, we don't have a huge slavery issue in Australia, although there's some, other parts of the world. But we do have people who are seen on the outer, who maybe who have seen as less important, or less valuable in different parts of our culture, who perhaps aren't as well accepted as other people, maybe feel a bit marginalised. We know someone like that. The, cow the power of the gospel is meant to change that. So there's no longer any slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, all those six. We're one in God. This is the power of gospel to change things. Now, gospel people, this is what we're talking about, gospel people, good news people, know they are called by God, know they are loved by God to worship him. Gospel people know that they're ambassadors. They live with a mission. An ambassador lives in another country, but he represents the country he comes from. Gospel people live out that prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Can we have the team back up? I'll hand over to you in just a sec. You know, this, this gospel starts with a realisation of what God has done through Jesus for us. It starts when we hear the good news that God loves us, God loves the world. Jesus came, became a man. Jesus came as what? Saviour and King. 
the, the Lord of our life and also to lift us, to save us. The gospel means there's now nothing between us and God. He offers us forgiveness so we can be right with God. He places us in this thing called the church and he calls us to live out this gospel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord. We look again at that good news. We um, focus our thoughts on what Jesus has done for us. He came and lived and died, showed us what God was really like, died on a cross to take a penalty that we deserved so we can stand before God accepted, forgiven, right in his presence. We thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that we're called to come to you, Lord, and we thank you that we're also called to reconcile others to God and to one another. We're called to be ambassadors. Lord, I pray, you know, just as we're talking about those marginalised people, just I pray you put someone on our, in our hearts and our minds who might just be someone in that space. Maybe they're, they're a little bit broken or, you know, part of a certain social group or whatever it might be that seems to be a little bit on the outer. We pray for them and... I pray you give us that, that ministry of reconciliation. We realise that, hang on, our, our, our goal is to bring them to God, bring them into the family of God, that they can be part of this awesome thing, part of the church, brothers and sisters of ours, Lord. We pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.